Let's pray, and I've got a lot of good stuff to share with you tonight. Let's get into chapter 4. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your word. We are not left in the dark if we will just take time to study your word and learn of you and let the Holy Spirit lead us. We pray for that tonight, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will lead and direct our uh, study tonight. We thank you for uh, your grace and mercy and long-suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we welcome all of you that join us wherever you're at around the globe and those of you that will get this podcast. Um, so we left talking, off, talking about the churches. Uh, after he deals with the churches and that church age. Now, we, we, uh, we've stressed this a little bit that these churches speak to us at least in three ways. Uh, in a personal way, you can evaluate your spiritual life by looking at these churches. Uh, and these are actually literal churches, so churches can take on certain characteristics uh, depending on their struggles. And these seven churches also prove to us that there are strongholds in certain regions of the world. So if you, if you just look around America, you can see that, right? You could say, some bigger cities that have been established for a long time, you can see the strongholds that are in those cities from uh, New Orleans, which is a stronghold for witchcraft. Uh, and you can see Vegas and San Francisco, which is a stronghold for sexual immorality. So you can go around our own nation here and see where the enemy, Satan, has built up some strongholds where basically those things are... Uh, predominant thing known about that region or that area and a lot of debauched things go on in certain cities and countries uh, that are known for that so these churches had different strongholds to deal with and then the church age you know as we came to the last church last week Laodicea certainly uh, that is a parallel to the day we're living in because of the shrinkage of a true believer uh, and people that are actually uh, walking away. I think uh, I read something last week that said church attendance is down 45% since COVID. Now, church attendance was way down over the years anyway, but that's a massive slide in a short amount of time. And uh, so uh, the true believer is getting in a shrinking into a smaller minority, but uh, that shouldn't have caught us off guard. Jesus said many are going to destruction and few are going to heaven. So uh, we, we just need to make sure you and I are in that few, right? We want to be in that group that's going to heaven. Now, when we left chapter 3 last week, the church is not mentioned anymore. Now, that's significant. Uh, you've got, we've talked about, and we'll get a little more extensive about the rapture, We'll probably take a whole night or two and just discuss the rapture in our study. I told you last week we were going to get back to the seven spirits of God, and that's, we're going to deal with that tonight So, and as we go through this chapter. But uh, the church is not mentioned anymore, and John's called up, all right? And we know that John was a follower of Christ for sure, and uh, he's called up and into a portal to an opening, an open door, a literal the Greek word suggests a literal portal. So let's look at verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. After this. After what? That's why I think these seven churches speak to us about the church age. These were just letters they were sending out to the churches identifying their uh, problems and their compliments. And some two churches had, didn't have any rebukes and two churches didn't have any compliments as we illustrated or shared with you last week. So I think that's why that kind of language right there. But let me say this to you. You, you know, when you hear somebody say, well, I don't mean nothing that there's necessarily a rapture. You're right. There's so many other scriptures that tell us about the rapture. But we see God don't unfold everything in every single book. That's why we have 66 books. But the Holy Spirit may be assuming that we've already read Paul's writings as believers, and we should have, right? Because Paul's the one in Corinthians. Why do you think, you know, I, I shared last week that Jesus, it looks like open and blinded eyes from birth, that particular miracle was reserved for Jesus to, when He came to the earth, right? Because in John 9 it said, never since the foundation of the world has this ever happened. So the reason I believe, right, that's what the preacher believes, the reason I believe that, that, that he reserved that for Jesus is because that represented what Jesus was going to do in the spiritual realm, right? He's going to open our eyes. So that miracle was reserved for him to do first, right? So when you get in 1 Corinthians where Paul starts alluding to the rapture and unfolding the catching away of the church, he says something. Jesus alluded to the rapture one time in Luke 21 when he said, Pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things. The things he had just described were the seven years of tribulation that are coming to the earth. So when he said that, he alluded to the rapture, but he didn't really, he didn't get into it there. That was reserved for Paul. Why do you think that was reserved for Paul? Because Jesus came to the lost tribes or the house of Israel. And primarily, the rapture primarily is going to be made up of Gentiles. Right, And Paul was a Jew himself, but he was also the apostle to the Gentiles. Who needed to hear about the rapture? The Gentiles did. And because the Jews have been blinded, right? For our sake and for you know that whole deal there in Romans. Their eyes are going to get opened in the middle of that tribulation period as a group. Now there are some Jews who've been born again and believe that Jesus is the Messiah just like Jonathan Kahn, some of us that, you know, read his books and know. And he's a believer. And we've, uh, I've got some friends who are, we call them messianic. But the reason Paul unfolded the mystery of the rapture is because he was primarily dealing with Gentiles. So it's, it, some of that stuff, if you really study the Word, it, start, it makes sense to you. You start understanding why God did some of the things he did and how he unfolded this. Now, when the Antichrist goes in in the temple in the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years in, and acts like he's God, that's when the Jews, the Bible says, their eyes are going to be opened. They're going to flee to Petra and other places. They're going to realize that they missed their Messiah, and they're going to be waiting for him to come on his second coming. Right? The rapture is primarily made up of Gentiles. And if you go back to Joseph, let me just... Keep running here for a minute. When you go back to Joseph in Egypt, he uh, married a Gentile, took a Gentile bride before the seven years of famine. 
So he married an Egyptian woman. She's a Gentile. Then later, after the famine, or at the end of the famine, or somewhere during the famine, he revealed himself to his brothers, which was the Jews. Right? So you see the parallel that happens. The Gentiles were blessed because of Joseph, who was the Savior of the world, quote-unquote. That's what the Egyptians called him, because God used him with such great wisdom. And he trusted God. He said, the Lord can interpret your dreams. Same thing Daniel said. We should always be that way. When somebody pats you on the back, give God the credit. Because, you know what? It's because His mercies are new every day or we'd all be consumed anyway. So we ought to be quick to give God all the glory, you know. And, and then the Bible says He'll share it with us, right? But if we steal His glory, we're going to get in trouble. The one thing you notice about these guys that are workers and uh, had longevity with God, they gave God the credit. And the ones that didn't got in trouble on the spot a lot of times. Herod got eaten with the worms right there on the spot. So uh, you see all these things unfolding. So the church is not mentioned anymore after chapter 3. And when he says, uh, I'm going to show you things which must take place after this, that after this says something to us, right? There were no events taking place, right? He wasn't giving us events in the last two chapters. He was giving us the conditions of these churches and showing us a dispensation from the early church all the way to the last church age. When you understand that and see that, then that makes sense. Show me what's going to happen after what. Because these churches were already up and running. They were currently having those problems in 90 A.D., 95 A.D., right when this book was written. They were, those churches were current, they were existing, and they were having those problems. All right? So there was no after this unless you understand that those churches represented the plan or the, the church age as it would uh, uh, develop and come to the last days. So then you start understanding, okay, am I, am I saying that John being called up to heaven uh, makes the rapture sure? No, I'm saying that what Jesus said and Paul taught makes the rapture sure. I'm saying that right there is just more icing on the cake. Right? I wouldn't come to chapter 4 and build a doctrine of the rapture of the church out of this chapter. But now that I already have a doctrine based on Thessalonians and Corinthians and, and the types and shadows of Joseph and David, those are the three beautiful types, Joseph, David, and Jacob. Those are the types of the rapture. Joseph, I just explained to you his situation. David, the Bible says, when he became king, all those who wanted him to be king ascended to him in Hebron. And he ruled in Hebron for right at seven years. After that, he came to Jerusalem and set up his kingdom and exercised his authority over everybody, whether they liked it or not. See, that's a beautiful picture of the rapture right there and the whole plan of God. Those of us who want Jesus to be king, right, we're going to ascend to him not in Hebron, but in heaven, and then we're going to come back with him seven years later, and he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So those are beautiful types and shadows. Then Jacob's first choice was Rachel, right? 
And he got stuck with Leah first, right? I don't know how you do all that. They didn't have electricity back in those days, I guess. You just go in and wake up the next morning and, who are you? <laughs> I mean, the Bible's better than any TV show, isn't it, if you really uh, look at it and understand it. And uh, <clears throat> so then he works, he labors seven more years and gets Rachel. Rachel represents the Jews. Leah represents the Gentiles. You see all this stuff. So I don't build my doctrine of the rapture. I just see the Bible continuing to confirm it. You see what I'm saying? That's why I, I don't have debates with people anymore uh, who want to just use Matthew 24. If you just use Matthew 24, you're telling me you're not well studied. Because you need to know what Daniel says, you need to know what Hosea says, you need to know what Ezekiel says, what Luke said, and Mark said, and Paul said. I mean, there's just so much to put together there. But once you start seeing these types and shadows and how God has basically put a playwright out there for us, it gets so exciting to see how God... I love God's Word, and it's, it's encouraging to see that the devil cannot stop him. He can't. He just, he just can't stop him. Now, so then he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And let me say, this whole, bi- this whole book of Revelation is built around the throne. Whew. I mean, this is a time where God's throne comes clearly in view, and we keep seeing pictures and talk about the throne. Basically, God's saying, what was that Flip Wilson said? Here come the judge back in the... Did I just tell my age again? You, uh, the judge is, 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 has arrived. And everybody's going to have to give an account of themselves. And evil's going to be judged and put down and put asunder. Satan's going to be cast in the bottomless pit. There's just so much, so much going on here that uh, reminds us of who is in charge. God is in charge. Now, don't lose sight of that. The way you don't lose sight of that is to stay in God's Word, remember what He said, and prophecy is so important because a third of your Bible is prophecy. And what prophecy does, it shouldn't scare us if we're following the Lord, but what it does is it encourages us as we see things fulfilled and we say, hey, God told us that was going to happen. He spoke that and shared that with us. And, and i tell you who's really good about that is, is Jonathan Kahn. He's gifted in seeing. Uh, he's like a modern-day prophet or seer. He's gifted. God, that's the mantle that I believe God's put on him. And then he says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The rainbow belongs to God. I know several groups of people have tried to make that their emblem and different politically and sexually and all kinds of ways. But the rainbow belongs to God. And we should, when we see a rainbow, and I seem like I've seen more in the last five years than I've seen in a long time, uh, it's just a reminder that God is a God of grace and mercy and that it's not His, His desire to judge us and destroy us, it's His desire to save us. The, Peter said it's not His will that any perish, but that all would come under repentance, right? And he said, Then I saw, and here we begin, the twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed with robes, and they had crowns of gold 
on their heads. All right. Elders. Now, uh, you know, we don't get the specific of who these guys are, but there were 24 uh, priesthood elders that governed the priesthood. There were 12 apostles and 12 sons of Jacob. Certainly, there's a, a passage in the Old Testament, I feel, maybe Zechariah, that alludes to the fact that David himself is going to have a throne in heaven, like he's going to be the prince in heaven. So we don't know how God's maybe populated all this, but uh, you can maybe, if you're like me, you like to think about those things, it's possible that it could be the 12 apostles and the 12 sons of Jacob, or it could be these uh, priests that govern in the Old Testament. But there's elders here that are, and they, and they had crowns of gold, and from the throne... Now, <clears throat> Uh, I, I, I'm a little old fat. I believe God's house ought to be better than anybody's. And I know this is not, we're His house, but I think we ought to bring our best to Him in every way. And uh, for those people who <clears throat> think everybody wears overalls in heaven, that's not true. And I grew up wearing overalls, so I'm not against overalls. I like overalls. Matter of fact, I'm going to get me a new pair. But these guys got crowns on their heads made out of gold. They don't have a Kentucky Wildcat hat on. They wouldn't want one right now, no way, would they? This, God's extravagant. You know how I know He's extravagant? A rose bush. You go look at a rose bush. And smell one that's got the odor and the fragrance to it. God's extravagant with stuff that comes and goes, fades away. Heaven's not going to be a log cabin. Somebody said, I'll just take a doghouse in heaven. You ain't going then because there ain't none up there. <laughs> not for humans anyway. <laughs> he said, I saw the 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and had crowns and gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings. Notice how much the throne starts getting talked about. Lightnings, thunders, voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. All this going on around the throne. Now, remember in Psalm 138 it says, God inhabits the praises of His people. That's why it's important for us to praise, to use our voices, to go to the tops of our voices, and to give God all we got. That's what happened on Jericho, right? The walls came down. In Psalm 138, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. The word inhabit in Hebrew means God brings His throne down and sits it in the middle of people who praise Him. Now, His throne represents all His authority and all His power. So if God brings His throne into my presence, guess what? I have access to all of Him. That's powerful to think about. So His throne's coming down here, His power, His authority. And then it says, which are the seven spirits of God. So these seven spirits of God, uh, the first place I want to take you is in Isaiah, these seven spirits of God. And uh, there's a little identification here. Some people uh, may would uh, argue in Isaiah chapter 11, let's go there.
Let's see. I'm sorry. I, got, I took you the wrong place then. Yeah, okay. He says, uh, there, in verse 1 says, There shall come from, forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of its roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, in order to get seven, and a lot of people do this, they use the first one as like the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, and then they go on to say uh, the Spirit of Wisdom, and then, of course, it would be the Spirit of Understanding. The spirit of counsel and might would be the fifth one, the spirit of knowledge, and then the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And we see some level of operation of this in Proverbs when it talks about the spirit of wisdom, wisdom coming around and, and doing her job. So <clears throat> there, the spirit of the Lord seems like the catch-all, but in order to get seven, and I'm not going to argue this or work against it per se, but in order to have seven spirits of God, then you have to call the one that's the spirit of the Lord, kind of like the catch-all, the number one. And I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, it says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Now let's remember what seven means. It means completion and perfection. So the Spirit of the Lord is perfect. He is complete. The Holy Spirit was sent back on the day of Pentecost in His fullness so that we would have access to all these wonderful things. The manifestations and the gifts, the gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12, the manifestations that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, how the Holy Spirit reveals Himself. And these attributes here or the seven spirits which make up the Holy Spirit. Three make up the Godhead, and then these spirit. Now, I'm not fully, you know, I've got my ideas about the Trinity and about this, but for somebody to say they fully understand this uh, would be a little bit foolish to say that. I mean, I, I try to help people understand the Trinity and explain it like, Water, there's ice and vapor and liquid, right? And they all three are the same substance. They work together. Some people use an egg to describe the, the trinity from the shell to the yolk to the white of an egg. And that's, that's okay, right? We're getting some level. Of, but to fully, I don't know that we can fully understand that until we step into eternity. And really, now, I believe in the distinction of the of the personalities of the Godhead and how they operate uh, in, in and out of the earth. Uh, I use this illustration. I can't confirm whether he had the dream or not, but it's, it's the best thing I'd ever heard uh, from Jesse Duplantis. He talked about he got caught up in heaven in a dream or a vision, and he talks about how his, what he saw, and um, he said, uh, and everything he said, sounded good but once again you know that's his vision not mine i can't verify it but uh, he said something that really caught my attention he said that he was walking around heaven in his vision and he was seeing people and then he all he heard people saying start scurrying around saying he's coming he's coming he's coming and he said he, everybody started hitting the ground like they were worshiping and he said there was a mount there that was filled with light you couldn't see in. He said he knew that's where the throne was at, but it was consumed in light. 
kind of makes sense to me. God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. And he said he was there. And he said, I got on the ground, but I kept my eyes up. I wanted to see what was happening. And he said he watched Jesus step out of that light. So if you see how three can be one, Jesus can go back into that throne area and be immersed in with the Father. You see what I'm saying? Now, I, I felt this when I heard it. I mean, verifying it, but you know, the Holy Spirit gives us witness. And he said when Jesus came down that hill, it was his vision, so he was there to see or get instruction, right? And I've had visions that I've got instructed from the Lord, and I shared some of them with you all. Uh, the last one I shared was about the Gulf and people in the Gulf. That, uh, <clears throat> and, God, and Jesus instructed me on what was going on there. He said Jesus came down and when he got close to him, he said his garment looked like diamonds. He said, but it really wasn't diamonds. He said he was clothed in light. He said light was dancing all over his body. That all makes sense to me when you start thinking about who God is and how holy he is, right? And so, uh, you know, Jesse, if anybody's ever listened to Jesse, and I don't, I don't get a chance to listen to him much, but <clears throat> he, uh, he's kind of a funny guy, right? That's his personality. And he said that the Lord said to him, go tell my people I'm coming soon. And he said, my response, he, he really reminds me like Peter in the, and see, God loves all of us, right? He, he reminded me of Peter. He said, my response was, they know you're coming. And he said, Jesus never cracked a smile or anything. He said, no, they don't. You go tell them. That tells us how many people are really asleep, right? And he said when he got through instructing him, he said he walked back up that hill and immersed himself back into that throne area where the light was. Now that, that felt right to me, that Jesus is clothed in light, that he gets immersed into the throne. He's one with the... You get it? He can come out and be a distinct person. I mean, that, that really bore witness with me. And uh, because we know God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. So, these seven spirits of God that make up, it looks like the Holy Spirit, tells me that He's complete. That whatever we need, the Holy Spirit can do it. That's the power of our God. Mary said, hey, Lord, how can this be? And he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nevertheless, at the time appointed, what I said to you is going to happen. And I was, I've got a word for all of us people are listening. If God's told you something, you hang on to it. Whew. It's coming to pass. Amen. Because there ain't enough demons in hell to stop it. If, they, if the demons could have stopped God, they would have kept Jesus from getting out of that tomb. But they couldn't stop that. He come out of that grave anyway, right? And so we got what we need, right? In Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And you think about this. The Father, uh, the devil left. He was an archangel. There were three main archangels 
that we read about, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer left, took a third of the angels with him. Well, Gabriel and Michael stayed, right? There's two-thirds angels stayed, so the Lord's got two angels for every one the devil's got, and Jesus has got His heel right on Satan's head, holding him in check, right? That still leaves the Father and the Holy Spirit to do for us whatever we need done. Now, how in the world do you think hell can stop that? They're in trouble. They know they're in trouble. Um, you think the stock market's bad up here, you ought to see the hell stock market. It's tanking because everything God said's coming to pass is coming to pass. They know somebody. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me for them to have an uprising in hell and some of them demons start saying, we got deceived. We thought this was going to go our way. It's looking bad for us. Now let's go to Exodus. I want to show you another facet of God with this seven. And, and I want to take you to a little place here uh, and show you something here that I think will strengthen you too when you start thinking about God's spirit and who He is. Now Moses is out here uh, dealing with God and the people. Uh, and I like what Moses said. Let's look at verse 12 of, of Exodus 33. Said Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Now I love how Moses is having a relationship with God here. They're just having a good, you know, uh, and I'm going to bring this up soon. I'm going to get back to the prayer journey. We need to get... If we're going to go to the next level, we've got to pray. We, we've got to, our prayer lives have to keep growing. <clears throat> but that table of showbread is where you have a cup of coffee with God, right? Where you just be real with Him. I like how Moses is that way. He says, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. What if that was the desire of everybody in the church? What if everybody in the church, instead of coming to get something from church, came and said, I just want to know you and know your ways? Then they would get anything they wanted. If we had that. I mean, if we come to Jesus, whatever you ask in His name, you'll receive, He said, right? But it's that attitude, it's that heart like the prodigal. He says, you know that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. He's reminding God of some stuff. Have you ever done that? I have. Hey, Lord, didn't we talk about this already? Uh, and he, <laughs> but you know what? I get reminded by Him more like that than He does me. He's like, Matt, we've already discussed this, Alan. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What would happen if the true church said, we're not worried about what all, everything that's going to happen down here. We're just going to be content with God's presence, His Holy Spirit. That's a majority. That's all we need. We've got a modern church that thinks nothing can't be done without material things. That ain't true. We have a Holy Spirit that can do far above. Did you hear uh, Brian's testimony? Some of you that went to the marriage retreat where there was a commercial in Kentucky that should have never been in Kentucky? That's powerful. I mean, God is, is so faithful. And he says, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with... Look at Moses. I love his response. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. In other words, Moses said, if you ain't going, I'm not going. I'm staying right here. 
But we got a lot of people that, that they go where the Lord goes or not because they're doing it for themselves. Was it uh, Francis Chan who's left his church? And I mean, he's really doing things unorthodox by the culture, the church culture. He said a lot of people be fine with heaven without Jesus. Sad but true probably, right? Just want to get up there and live forever and get out of all this mess. It's all about relationship, though. And he says, uh, if you're not going, I, I don't, do, don't bring us, don't tell us to go. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? But he'd already told me to go with him. Moses arguing the mute point, right? That's how we are, right? Have you ever seen that? Well, if you don't, I, oh, you just said you'd go, didn't you? <laughs> Your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Look what Moses is after. He's not after stuff. He's after knowing the Lord. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. For the Lord said, here is, my, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. There's your picture, right? See Jesus everywhere, right? And will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is really setting Moses up here for an encounter. If you look over your life, those, those encounters you've had with God, man, they are powerful moments, right? Seasons. I can take you to certain seasons in my life when I had powerful encounters with God. One was when I was six years old. One was when I was 12 years old. One was when I was 21 years old. I can take you back through my life and tell you those moments of powerful encounters <clears throat> that I have with the Lord. And he says, I will cover you with my hand when I pass through. Then I will take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these stones the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. <laughs> Poor old Moses. He was a Levite though, right? If you go back and read what the Levites were, were struggled with, guess what it was? Anger. God cursed their anger because they got upset. That was one of their family traits was their anger. And so Moses was, was one of those guys and he was a, a Levite and he... His anger got him in trouble, cost him from going over into the physical promised land. He made it to the, the main promised land, but it cost him. And uh, so he's writing on these tablets. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me on the top of the mountain, and no man shall come up with you. And let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut the two tablets of the first ones, like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai, and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded him, he took his hand two tablets of stone. Think about that. God's saying, come up and have breakfast with me in the morning, but just you. Now, that's a relationship. 
See, we think we got all this stuff over these Old Testament people. And I, I, you know, I've said this before. These Old Testament people probably, uh, although they were exposed to the Holy Spirit at times, the Holy Spirit wasn't given in the measure He was given in the book of Acts. Everything changed. They must have been looking to the New Testament thinking, we were going to be really knocking it out of the park because we were given a measure of the Holy Spirit they never had or it's been offered to us. And so Moses is going up. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And listen what the Lord did here. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, look at these seven things, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, there's the sixth one, thousands, and forgiven iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, judgment. Those seven things he revealed to Moses as he passed by. That was the characteristics that, that God offered him. Those things, and I'm going to preach on some of this shortly, when, you go, when they went into the promised land, they had seven giants, seven groups of people that faced them in the promised land, seven main groups. These seven things came against those seven, what those groups of people represent in the Hebrew language. Everything we need, God has made available to us. Everything. If our lives were totally governed by His voice, it would be awesome. Now, I'm pretty adamant about that. But I can't say I live that 100% of the time. I mean, that would be my goal. But like when I was in Texas, that was what I was kept saying to the, my surgeon. I need to hear from God. Once I hear from God, then I'll make my decision. I wish I could tell you that a hundred times out of a hundred, I always do that. I've grown a lot in that, and I'm growing more in that now. But you think about it. And now here's how I counsel a lot with people. If somebody says, I, they come into me and they say, well, I, I may, I'm going to switch jobs. I don't want to hear all the extenuating circumstances. If they're a believer, my only question is, is that what God's telling you to do? It's not about more pay. It's not about you don't like your boss. Because the Bible tells us when we got a boss that's mean to us for us to show them Christ and honor them. So if somebody's going to make a move, right, in relationally, job, ministry, you can ask preachers. I'm harder on preachers than I probably am anybody. I don't ask for all the peripheral stuff. What would make life better? That's not, that's not the question for a believer. A question for the believer is, what's God saying to you? Is He saying to move? Is He saying you need to change jobs? That's the only question to be answered. Not if we're truly seeking Him. What would life be like if we always waited on the Lord? Think about it. If we waited, the reason we don't wait on God and get an answer from Him a lot of times is because we get impatient, right? We, we, get, we, want, we, we don't want to wait, right? That's why drive throughs are so popular. And microwaves, right? 
Right? I mean, microwaves and drive-throughs have swept the culture, right? We have, we have, anybody ever been to Crazy Horse Monument in South Dakota? You can fit 10 Mount Rushmores in Crazy Horse. That's how big it is. Crazy Horse is a hundred-year project. We can't, we can't fathom that in our microwave culture, right? The government came in there in the 70s or 80s and tried to give them the rest of the money to finish it, and they wouldn't do it because it's a, the guy who started it's already passed on. And now his son and those are... And we don't have any concept like that. So if we get in a drive through Now think about this. If you go home and have to fix dinner or have to wait for somebody to fix dinner, unless they're going to microwave it, it's going to take a few minutes, right? But if we have to sit in a drive through more than five minutes, we're ready to fight somebody. We've all got this mentality, and patience is a hard thing, right? And we're waiting on God, right? But how many of you have got ahead of God before? Has anybody ever done that besides me? Don't turn out too good, does it? And how many of you waited on God and some other things and you thought, wow, you did that way better than I thought you were going to, right? I mean, he's, he's perfect. Let's remember that. When you go ask him something or, or petition him for something, he's perfect. His timing's perfect. He can't do any wrong. He can't tell a lie. He can't be tempted with evil. God don't forget things. You think about that. So when you take something and really give it to God in faith and then wait on Him, man, He can do such a better job than we can, right? The times I've got ahead of God, I wished I hadn't have. Looking back on it. And because He is so faithful, those that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. Man, we got a God. And you know what? If we would just ask Him and move at His voice, <clears throat> life would be a lot easier. Wouldn't be near, we wouldn't be near as drained and beat up if we would wait and, and let His voice Lead us. There's a passage in Isaiah that says, When the sayer, this is how it says it in Hebrew, when the sayer speaks, we move toward the sayer. And of course, the sayer's God, the Holy Spirit. When he speaks, we move in that direction as he speaks. And so, what would life be like if you just waited for God to speak about everything? That's really, that makes life so much more simpler for a believer. We don't have to weigh all the peripheral things. We just wait to hear God's voice. Well, and so you see all these beautiful things He has to offer to us. I'm about to run out of time, aren't I? Let's go back to Revelation here, chapter 4, uh, before we quit. Let me look at a couple other things with you here. So the seven spirits of God are the completeness of the Holy Spirit, just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the completeness of the Godhead. All that works on our behalf. <clears throat> They are represented here by these burning uh, lamps which were before the throne. And before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front 
and in back. Now listen what these guys do. The first living creature was like a, was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature was a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And so we see uh, the Gospels in this, just like we did with Ezekiel, these creatures. And they, now notice this, they do not rest day or night saying. Now one of them had a lion's head, right? Looked like a lion. The next one looked like a calf. Now, the first one's the, the Gospel of Matthew, presents Jesus as the king. And the second one, the calf, is the servant. Jesus, in the book of Mark, presented like a servant. The third one uh, was a man. And in Luke, he's presented like a man because it runs his genealogy all the way back to Adam, Adam. In Matthew, it runs his genealogy only back to Abraham because we're talking about his kingship here, right? And then in John, the eagle represents divinity and John shows Jesus as the Son of God. That's the primary purpose of that gospel. But these guys, and one, they're, one of them has the appearance like us. The other three, have, now, now I want you to see something here. The other three have the appearance of animals, and they're talking. So is it uh, Eddie Murphy that's Dr. Doolittle or something like that? Goes outside and the animals are talking to him. He finally got clean in his later years. Like Steve Martin, those guys finally realized you didn't have to be dirty to make money. These animals are speaking and praising God. And guess what else these animals are doing? Or the figure of an animal who's got... They're living forever. Think about that. These creatures, looking like animals, except for the one, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. See, these sci-fi people, they get their ideas from the Bible. you got a God that's phenomenal. <laughs> I can't stop saying that tonight. You and I have a God... That's phenomenal. He's a mega God. You all have heard me talk about the Brachinus beetle before, right? The Brachinus beetle is a very small beetle. And that Brachinus beetle can blow 360 degrees out of his back end and live. That is phenomenal. How those birds that the eggs are laid in South America, that the parents go on back home. And these birds have a built-in navigation system to travel 20-some hundred miles back into Europe and go back to where their parents are at. You tell me if there's a God out there or not. I mean, it's powerful how, how, what kind of God we have. And then he said, these guys are doing this day and night, right? They don't rest. Uh, who was... Who is and who is to come. There's that drop, right? He, he, he's, th this book is about 
the coming of the Lord. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne. So now they're praising, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. Now listen, I'm going to close here. Russia would not exist if God did not will it. You and I would not exist if God did not will it. We have certain functions in the natural, and the science has explained all that to us. But if God's mercies weren't new every day, none of us would wake up tomorrow. It's His will that created it. It's His will that keeps it existing. I like what the guy said in the coal mines who came to visit us one time in the mines. He said, man can't destroy the earth. He don't own it. It don't belong to him. The deed is in heaven. God owns the earth. He's going to be the one to renovate it with fire like Peter talks about. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth when God says there'll be a new heaven and new earth. Not when Russia says, not when China says, not when uh, the Middle East says, not when America says, but when God says it is finished and puts one foot on the land and one foot in the sea, says is it finished, that's when this earth will come to an end and not before. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your word. There's just so much in here that feeds our spirits and our soul and our, just keeps us so encouraged, Lord. That, and the main thing is that we know you're in charge. You're on your throne. You will never be dethroned. Satan already tried that once. He got through out. Jesus said he watched him leave like lightning, Lord. That's how fast he was thrown out of heaven, like lightning. So we know, Lord, your throne is secure, you're in charge, and we welcome your presence in our lives and in our church and in our communities and our homes. We thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy and long-suffering. We praise you for your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.